Hello and welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we rethink ministry in the 21st century. We, we talk about success and failure and what ministry looks like in our context in North Portland and around the world. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And we have a special guest today, uh, Linda Jo Devlamink. Did I get that right? Yeah. Nice. I practiced. Uh, Linda Jo, tell us about yourself and wait, wait, what you do. Wait, wait. Before Linda Jo tells, I just have to say, like, Linda Jo is one of my favorite people. Um, she's definitely a huge inspiration to me, and it's just been kind of a pleasure and a joy um, just to kind of work with her, to get to know her personally, um, and to see her heart for ministry, um, and, and really her heart for people and her heart for service. Um, so I just want to set you up for that. And <laughs> He's trying to make you cry before you have to talk. I'm making faces at him that you can't see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Linda Joe, tell us, um, you, your director for community of hope, um, Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. How long has Community of Hope been in existence? What is, what is Community, Community of Hope? Hope? <laughs> um, Important. So uh, how far back shall I go? When I was a teenager, I decided that as I was following God and I, uh, I wanted to give my life to him, um, I, th- I wrote down on a piece of paper, I thought that I was had given my life to him. When I went back and looked at that piece of paper, I had written down that I would become a social worker. I didn't even say anything about God. And I realized that the way I saw giving my life to God was to serve other people. So I went to college and got a bachelor's in social work and, and did some social worky things for a while. And then I I quit work and raised a family and was very delighted with that. And um, and in some ways felt I was being more effective in serving my neighbors as a, as a young wife and mother and loving my neighbors than I was in a more official capacity before. Um, and then as my kids got older, when my youngest went to school, I went with her and was the uh, aide in her classroom and, um, and then worked, homeschooled my kids and taught in a homeschool setting and uh, decided to get my master's in teaching rather than social work because that would give me the opportunity to be home with my kids while they were home. Mm. Um, but I had this wonderful failure. I barely passed my student teaching. I got a job and got asked to resign. And um, I had always been an A student successful from a successful family that valued uh, especially educational success. Mm. And, and so for the first time, I was a failure. I did not do well. I was a substitute teacher. I was able to get jobs there. Um, But I really struggled with my self-image because I blew it. I I was not the perfect top-of-the-class person. And um, and after about a couple years, I read a, a book or an article or something 
that talked about how important failure is and that everybody should have a good failure because that will help them see that their value is because God loves us and not because of what we do. Um, and so I, my paradigm changed and I began to see that that failure shaped me in a way that nothing else could and that I, um, I was uh, one of seven children and the way we got attention from our parents was to do something amazing. Uh, get that A, get an award, whatever. Um, it's not like we were ignored, but we got more attention when we did something good. And it certainly wasn't their intention to teach us that we were more loved if we did something good, but that's what happened. Mm. And, uh, and so I wanted to be perfect because, and I knew God loved me unconditionally, yeah. but I figured he would love me more yeah. if I were perfect. And I told people, I really want to be perfect. <laughs> um, and then I was failed. And so that just kind of blew me out of the water. So I was looking at it differently and seeing if God wanted me to be perfect, he would have made me perfect. But he's not into perfection. He's into people uh, with our strengths and our weaknesses and that those are going to make us. If I were perfect, no one would want to be with me because it would it would make them feel worse, you know? It's like if I'm comparing right. myself to people all the time, then <laughs> they have to be worse than me. And that's not very loving right? or very realistic because I'm a sinner like everybody else, you know? So, um, Right. It's funny how we chase after perfection, but if, if we were actually perfect, no, we'd, we'd be the person no one wanted to be around. Right. Yeah, I've... I've <laughs> grabbed hold of this idea of sanctification. And so sanctification, you know, in, in kind of my, oh, my circles and the kind of the holiness church is this idea of being perfect, of being sinless. Um, and something somebody said once that really stuck to me is that if you're really, or if you think you're sanctified, you're, you're not. And so if you think you're perfect, you're not perfect. Um, and that's been that the idea of perfection has been something I've kind of struggled or wrestled with, um, and maybe some of this is kind of growing up in uh, maybe some of that achievement based kind of home, um, but I've taken that the words of Christ where it says "Be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect," and the model that we have is to to be like Christ. That's a high calling. Um, and so there's this a little bit of a tension in that and realizing that that calling that God is calling is ask us to live out is not this kind of flawless life, um, but it's really laced. It's not about achievement, but it's it's laced with um, oh, just being and being kind of real and, and authentic um, and being loved and experiencing God's grace through that. Yeah. Yeah. So you had this moment where you realized that um, perfection was not what God wanted for you. And, and I remember a time when I, um, I just wept for probably an hour or two with joy that I was loved by God the way I was and that I didn't have to be 
anybody else, or I didn't have to measure up or be better than anybody else, that I was truly loved for who I was. Uh, another moment was all of my siblings gathered, and um, we started talking about who was the favorite child. And <laughs> so all adults, mm-hmm. we all thought that we were the favorite child, mm. that my mother and father loved us so uniquely that we all thought we were the favorite. Of course, I had spent years working very hard to be the favorite. And so when I found out that we were all the favorites, I didn't have to worry so much. Again, this is a comparison thing. I didn't have to be better than anybody else because we were all favorite. Yeah. Wow. We were all favorite. And I think that's how God sees us. We are all God's favorite. Mm. He loves us to pieces just the way we are. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to succeed or be better than or, or fit whatever paradigm we think ought to be. We just have to be ourselves. And we're his favorite. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you're not his favorite. You know, it's not better than. It's, it's everybody is uniquely who they are. Right. Um, we'll get to Community of Hope at some point, um, but this is really good. Um, uh, you, you said something that just really kind of rocked me to the core. Um, I had this wonderful failure. And I, I'm curious when you said that, kind of what's the timeline in you coming to that that point where you called it a wonderful failure, like listening to you talk, it's something that like, wow, God used this and my eyes were kind of open. But I, I imagine at, in that moment of failure, you weren't thinking it was a wonderful failure. It was probably two years later. Two years. Wow. Yeah. What was that process like? So it was just like, how did you... Oh, how did you experience God through through that failure? What um, what was the importance of family or community, people people around you? What was that experience like in that in that moment and, of failure? Well, of that well, that moment was two years. You know, I wouldn't call it a moment. I um, I knew that I was loved by my husband, by my family, my parents, my sibs, my children. I had lots of friends who thought I was wonderful. Um, And I knew God loved me. And so I clung to all of that. Um, But I couldn't get a job except as a substitute. And, uh, And I was a successful substitute. I was the f- one of the favorite subs in several schools. And I worked at seeing myself as um, an important part of the team. And, and the schools did view me as that, that uh, particularly if I'm in the same school subbing a lot, that I'm, um, they want me because I've been there and I know the kids and the kids have had me before and I have a relationship with them and that I, and what my role is, is important, but I still felt like I wasn't using all the gifts that God wanted for me. 
And um, there was kind of this feeling of despair and depression that this is as good as it's going to get. I'm in my 50s, and nobody is going to hire me to teach or to do anything else. At my age, no one will hire me to do any of the things that I really want to do. Um, you know, I'm not going to teach in a classroom. I'm not going to go back and get a degree in social work so that I can do that. Uh, I'm not going to get a ministry degree so that I could work in a church. Uh, it, at my age, after already getting one master's, it wasn't worth getting another one. And I was doomed, and I really felt doomed, to be a substitute teacher the rest of my life. <laughs> and I tried to make the best of that uh, and to see the good in it. But any time I saw someone from the school that I got asked to leave mm, right. or, uh, and it was a, it was a Catholic school. And, and so in the, and I'm Roman Catholic. And so in the school at our church, they wouldn't hire me there either because I had mm. been fired from this other one. So, uh, wow. I, and they wouldn't even let me substitute there. And, and so I, Anytime there was a school event, I would cringe, you know. So it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah. Even after I realized I had this thing that it was a wonderful failure, mm -hmm. I still, uh, it, was, it was even after that before I could be, like, spiritually reconciled to the school. Sure. So. Sure. So you had this change of mind about it being a wonderful failure instead of, just a, you know, terrible failure. Because, think of. because it was good for me. Yes. It was yeah. good for me. How did that yeah. change the way you um, lived your life? How did that change the, the kinds of uh, things you pursued or did it? Well, not for quite a while. I would still just try to be the best sub that I could because I didn't think I could do anything else. Um, and then my brother had a conversation with me, and he had been talking for years about um, uh, looking at what you wanted to do and then deciding that you could do that and, and that it would happen. And what he wanted to do was to um, make more money in less time so that he could pursue some other things. He was a financial counselor and he wanted to um, be a life coach. And um, I said, yeah, right. Everybody wants to make more money and work less. <laughs> <laughs> you just write, go ahead and do it, you know. Right, sign me up. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I pretty much thought it was crazy. Um, but then he did it. <laughs> wow. And... Um, <laughs> And so we were, my husband and I were visiting, he lives in Iowa, and we were visiting him, and, and he was kind of sharing this story again. And, and he said, what happens is that uh, the way our brain works, that if we, if we believe something will happen, there's a dissonance between the reality and what our mind is thinking. And so we will work to resolve that dissonance. And... Um, he said what happened to him was that when, after he decided what he wanted to do, when things came up, um, 
that were possibilities of a path toward that, that he took risks uh, in terms of getting, taking classes or seminars, even if it was a financial thing. Uh, they really put themselves at risk financially to um, pursue that. And uh, so he began to look for doors and walk through the doors instead of just thinking it would never happen. And that made sense to me. So Jerome and I went out for a walk. And uh, Jerome is your husband. Jerome is my husband. Yeah. And actually, we had gone out for a walk when uh, he decided to buy his own business. And I decided that I would go get back and get my master's degree in teaching. So we we'd tease that it was kind of dangerous for us to go for a walk, although we did it <laughs> regularly. But um, yeah. he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to go back to doing something in social work. And I wanted to be in North Portland. I belong to um, an ecumenical Christian community called the People of Praise. And I live in Vancouver. And um, and the, we have in this particular branch, we're in different cities. We have uh, some of us live in Vancouver and some of us live in North Portland. And we felt like... Um, Many of the people that moved into this felt like God was calling them to be in this part of the city, to build up life here and to love our neighbors and to be God's presence here in North Portland. And um, and so I wanted to jump into that. Um, we looked at moving here and couldn't afford it because it's so expensive to buy stuff here. It's North Portland. It's North Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and and we we just recently paid off our house, so to start all over again would be really challenging. Um, so uh, I decided I wanted to look for a job in social work in North Portland. So I began to drive around North Portland and look at what was available here. And I got our community was involved in um, Compassion North Portland. And so I met David Brewer and all the folks that were beginning um, All One Community Services here. Uh, I was the head of the social services team for that first Compassion North Portland event. And for that, I began to see what social services were available here in North Portland and in the surrounding areas or for people in North Portland. And, um, and then I heard that that all one wanted to start a transitional shelter. So I applied for the job um, and uh, had no idea. But it was just, it was that walking through the door and being willing to fail or to take risks or to try to do something different um, that I don't think I would have been able to do, well, without the example of my brother, but then who took risks that I wouldn't take but was successful. And, uh, or, and if I didn't have that capacity to fail that I experienced right. in that. Um, so miraculously, they hired me. Um, and there was another candidate that was more qualified for the job. So I have no idea why they hired me instead. But... Um, but it has been a huge blessing to be able to use the gifts that God has given me 
you know, because he has given me a lot of gifts, which is just amazing that he would do that. And then he gave me the place to use them. But I had to go through that time of not using my gifts for a while and, and that unsuccess before I could take a job where uh, I have to take a lot of risks and, and face a lot of failures daily or weekly at any rate um, in order to go forward. Yeah. So tell us about some of your gifts, because I have to imagine, uh, and maybe also talk about what Community of Hope is, because um, we're, we're teasing that, but um, I have to imagine when you started at Community of Hope and through some of the early struggles, you've realized some gifts that you didn't know you had. I, I imagine... Well, some gifts that I didn't have. Or they, didn't have at all. <laughs> um, this, uh, this, this is completely different work than substitute teaching or than really anything else you'd done in your life, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 So really, tell us really some- I think, for the record as well, this new job of com- for Community of Hope, Community of Hope didn't exist really. It was just an idea yeah. before you came along. And so you were really hired with little to no money and then you were little, exp- none, none, <laughs> none. And then and you're hired to an idea that hasn't yet kind of formulated, and yep. so it's not this. Go it, start a shelter. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it was more kind of this empowerment, I suppose. Um, and so, in no way, shape, or form were you like given, "Hey, here's this nice salary and this nice cush job." Um, you know, that you've always kind of wanted or dreamed for, um, but but rather you were given an idea and said, hey, go make this happen. Um, and you have. Uh, how, just for, again, for the record, how long, how long has that, when, what year was that when you were hired? Uh, I was hired in October of 2012. And we opened in February of 2014, so a little over a year later. Yeah, and then that was about four years ago. And that was four years ago now. So when I first was doing it, the blessing of being a substitute teacher was that I could take one or two days a week off subbing, whichever ones I wanted, and work on Community of Hope, which was wasn't called that back then um and uh well you asked what gifts i had when i prayed about i I think the biggest gift that i have is that i don't quit Mm. and that i'm willing to listen to god and do whatever he wants and uh and i don't quit (laughs) so I had this vision of that I took on the vision that was shared with me and and made it my own and and I made it my own I changed it um in the beginning I did a lot of research to see what other people were doing and um because I'd never done this before I didn't know how and I knew that the first thing I would have to do is learn how 
So I talked to lots of people that ran different kinds of housing places. Um, Kathy Weiss with My Father's House was, was a huge influence on me. And so was Brandy Chuck of um, Portland Homeless Family Solutions. But I looked at Oxford House and, and uh, visited other homeless shelters. And, um, and I started talking to people and trying to build relationships in North Portland because I didn't know a lot of people in North Portland. So I, talked, I tried to meet with as many pastors as I could, uh, talk to people in, like, Mike Verbau, of, that's the, David called him the unofficial mayor of North Portland, <laughs> um, uh, that does a lot of collaborative work in terms of service and, and, uh, and working together in the community. I went to neighborhood meetings. I met with the St. John's Boosters and what was then St. John's Main Street. And I just, I talked to everybody that would, was willing to talk to me and began to form a picture of what it would be like. Um, took what other people did, took a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, the influence of my life in the people of praise in the community. Um, uh, I had had experience through the community in um, pastoral situations with other women um, that would come in handy, and I had had training in that, and that was very helpful. Um, I love people. That was That's probably a gift that I have. Uh, I like... I like looking at the big picture and then figuring out how things will work in that. You know, how are things connected? How can you connect things with each other? And so the idea of churches and non-church people and a bunch of different churches connecting to make this work was very attractive to me. Community life was really important. That's a really key of what we do that's unique um, among other shelters. Um, right. So families can live there, Community of Hope, for four to six months, um, and we offer classes to help um, build skills and overcome past trauma, kind of heal from that, and um, help them find homes and jobs. Yeah. Uh, we, we decided to focus on initially single mothers and their children um, because those were the people that were most vulnerable then we found out that we were practicing gender discrimination, so now we're at single parents. Mm. Um, would love to open a second home so that we could have um, single dads and couples in one place and single moms in another, which is a model from um, my father's house. That's what they do. Um, so we've been wanting to do that since the beginning, uh, and now we're, we're closer to making that happen. Um, so it's... I had that stuff to start out with, but I had very little knowledge and had to learn a lot. Yeah. And then I've also learned about permits and remodeling Ugh. and uh, <laughs> working with the city. And I learned a lot about trauma-informed care. That was a very important piece and understanding what people living in trauma are like and how to best serve them. And understanding where they're coming from. Right, because a good chunk of uh, the houseless folks that are coming in are... Well, all of them. Tr uh, all, all. Backgrounds with extreme trauma, yes? 
Yes. So everybody has the trauma of homelessness. Right. Many come from domestic violence or drug situations, uh, verbal and sexual abuse as children. Um, yeah. Abandonment. Well, one of the, the things that I love that you do um, and that Community of Hope does, I don't know if you run the social media for Community of Hope or if someone else does, but you, you celebrate the wins a lot. Uh, there are um, pictures of families getting into houses and, and celebrating the transitions that they've made and the, um, uh, the improvements that have come in their lives since they've uh, left and um, that part of it. I really love to see it's more than just, you know, a roof that you guys are, um, that you all are giving. It's, there's, there's movement toward, um, permanent housing. But that kind of goes back to the success model, David. Yeah. What I do is I showcase the successes. Yeah. Um, because that's what people want to see. And, uh, and in terms of right speech, you talk about good things about people and not bad things about them. So that's, um, that's the morally right thing to do as well as the fiscally right thing to do to get sponsors and volunteers. Mm. Um, but I, but I will freely admit that there's lots of failures too. Yeah. Uh, for every grant that I've written, most of them I don't get. Mm. Um, for every success, not I mean I would I would say there's more successes than failures, but there are people that I've had people move in and move out within days or hours. Wow. And one woman came, didn't even spend the night the first night, you know. Uh, I've had people move out in the middle of the night. Not now, but in the beginning. Right. Um, I have to ask people to leave because they use drugs. And we don't, we're a drug-free facility. I've had people leave furious with me and have had to deal with that. Uh, there are many failures uh, and I have failed in loving people well I have failed in using what I've learned about trauma-informed care and doing that well uh, I failed in loving my staff well um, I'm not I'm really far from perfect uh, I try to show the good stuff but it doesn't mean that the, the hard stuff isn't there. And it all mixes together. There's a, there's a thing that says somebody that's humble is someone who really knows who they are, the good and the bad. And mm. they're not affected by what other people think. So I've had people tell me that they remind me of Mother Teresa, like maybe somebody that was in this room right now that said something earlier. Um, <laughs> David, is that you? <laughs> But the thing is, I'm far from Mother Teresa. And, and anybody who thinks that of me doesn't really know me and doesn't know all of my failures. And well, then I I've think had... that's what Mother Teresa would have said, too. <laughs> Josh. 
and then there's people who think I'm terrible mm. for, you know, particularly the people who live there that don't like it when I hold them accountable or yeah. make them leave or don't let them move in or whatever, you know. And and I think that that's true of all of us, that there, think, there are people who will think better of us than we are. Yeah. And there will be people that think worse of us than we are. And it doesn't matter because that is not who we are. Who we are are children of God yeah. doing the very best we can. Yeah. And even if we're not doing a good job, it's still usually the best we can because there's some reason that we're not, quote unquote, being successful. You know, yeah. I, I just, just last night, um, uh, my mom yesterday took a, a, a turn for the worse and we thought she was going to die and she's mm. not, she's better, which is why I'm here and not Good. there. But, um, for a while last night I was packing and I couldn't think about what to pack. I couldn't, I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't make good decisions. And, and there are people who are, we consider as failures because they can't, think clearly or follow through and do things successfully. And it's because they're so traumatized that they can't. And we label them as failures. Well, just for a few moments last night, that was me. Mm. And so why do we, why do we expect things of people that they can't give, which is part of trauma informed care. But I think it's, it's part of life, you know. Yeah. Why? How can we judge? We don't know what stresses they have and what their inabilities to do things are, or why they can't. Yeah. We we live in a culture and a society that we celebrate the wins, the successes. We want to showcase those. Um, we're inundated with messages of motivational speakers it says, you know, yeah, you, you got to fail before you can succeed. I've heard that a hundred times. Um, and this idea, like you just keep knocking until the doors open, you know, or keep going through open doors until, until you find success. Um, but Linda Joe, as I listen to you and, and as I know you, as our lives have kind of, have intertwined at different varying capacities throughout time. Um, there's something more there. Like what's motivating you past the failures is not this drive to succeed, but you said over and over again that like it's who you are in Christ and that your worth and your value is not at all dependent um, on, on your, your achievements. And that, that's been a lifelong journey and something in that, um, oh, in that this, this wonderful failure kind of encounter and idea. Um, but just kind of as we, as we wrap things up a little bit, maybe you can speak to that as, as your motivation. Like what, what motivates you? Because it, you're not, you're not driven by this need to succeed. Um, but you, there seems to be something deeper at, at work in your, in your heart and you're okay, 
you're okay with failing? Um, I see community of hope as God's work. This is, this is God's problem. It's his thing. He is the one that has brought this. So I'm a lightning rod kind of person, you know. It's, I am far from the only person. So David and Josh, you are both really strong supporters of, of Community of Hope. And we would not be where we are without you and hundreds of people like you. Uh, this is not my Community of Hope. It's my baby in one sense. But this is God's work and it's the work of our community. It's, it's, uh, it is not just mine. I mean, even the beginning when it was an idea, I could say, I've been hired, haha, by the Church of North Portland to do this. And I am working for them. And that gave me a credibility that I wouldn't have had if I went in on my own and sure. said, I'm starting a homeless shelter. Well, who are you? Well, I, I had that. And, and when, when I've been up against, uh, well, we only have enough money to last two more months, I can say, well, God, will we end here or will we continue? Because it's God's work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he, he's the one that hired me with more than enough mm-hmm. to do this. And, uh, and if it fails... That's his problem and not mine. So it will, I believe that this is what God wants and that even after I retire, it will go on because this is his work. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm praying for the right person to take over uh, and, and it will be different than I did it. You know, it will change. I mean, hopefully the core of, of our core values will stay, but it will look different and that's fine. I might have a hard time with it, but it's still <laughs> fine, you know, because it's, it is God's and not mine. Yeah. Well, by the time this drops, will it'll be probably a month and a half, two months till the gala that you do every year. So Our gala can... is June 2nd. Okay. And it will be at the Lou Basio uh, room at the University of Portland. That's embarrassing. Ah, yes. <laughs> Leaving my phone on. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And you can go to our website at communityofhopepdx.org, and tickets are on sale now. Wonderful. Uh, Feel free to come. Learn more about how we help women and families and men and their children change lives and heal and and find housing. It really is an amazing event. Last year, I was, um, I mean, shocked. The room was packed, and um, uh, there was a... There was a lot of giving. There's a lot of support. Like um, momentum has built around yeah. this this shelter, but so much more than a shelter. This um, movement to care for the uh, homeless in North Portland. So it was a really cool thing to see last year. A lot of people want to do something about homelessness and don't know what to do, mm-hmm. and so we provide a means for them not just to give people shelter, but to see their lives change. And, uh, and particularly children. And that's been a privilege to give that gift to other people, to have something that they can be a part of. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Linda Joe. Again, I mean, your life continues to be an inspiration. And um, 
you said one of your greatest gifts is that you don't quit. Um, and there's been lots of opportunity for that along the journey. Yep. Um, <laughs> and and that some of the things that I have over the last few years um, that I have really clung to, especially around this idea of success, is that God has not called us to success, but rather faithfulness and obedience. And um, so just thank you again, just personally from me, um, just for that model, for that example of faithfulness and obedience. Um and, uh, and trusting that God will do what he's going to do. And if it's his, then we just get to be kind of players in that and we get to experience and be partners with him in that. But it's ultimately on him and it's his responsibility. And, and there's a lot of freedom, I think, a lot of joy that, that we can experience through that. There's a lot of joy, a lot of joy. So as we wrap up... Um Remind us of the website for Community of Hope. Community of Hope PDX, that's the Portland Airport symbol, uh, .org. Community of Hope PDX.org. And you're on Facebook, Twitter, yep. Instagram, whatever. Uh, I don't think Instagram, media. Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, okay. And if you want to uh, see all of my stupid posts, I'm uh, at David Libby 13 on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know what they are. And I'm Josh Hawk PDX at all those things. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to seeing you again or having you hear us again <laughs> on the Unsuccess Podcast. <laughs>